Hello, this is Erin Weir. The journey to being a successful creative entrepreneur is filled with challenges, hard work, and occasional high points. You have the opportunity to minimize the challenges and hard work by learning from experts, mentors, and leaders that have traveled the same road before you. The Creative Genius Podcast celebrates you and your hard work and helps you shortcut the path to profit and renewed passion. Enjoy this episode with my co-host, Gail Dobie of Gail Dobie Coaching and Consulting. Today, we're joined by the incredible Bob Berg on the podcast. Bob is the author of a number of books on sales, marketing, and influence with total book sales of well over a million copies. His book, The Go-Giver, co-authored with John David Mann, itself has sold over 950,000 copies, and it has been translated into 28 languages. His and John's newest parable in the Go-Giver series is the Go-Giver Influencer. Bob Berg is a sought-after speaker at company leadership and sales conferences, sharing the platform with everyone from today's business leaders and broadcast personalities to even a former U.S. president. He's also an unapologetic animal fanatic and is a past member of the board of directors of Furry Friends Adoption Clinic and Ranch in his town of Jupiter, Florida. Well, Bob, I am so excited to have you on our podcast today. And as we were chatting right before the call started, I was thinking about how the first time that we got together, we talked about your Go-Giver book, and that was in 2008 Mm -hmm. in October. And we were right in the midst of that big explosion with the stock market and the real estate market. And I, I just remember how you were just so uplifting and you had so many great ideas for everyone. So I'm excited about this opportunity to catch up with you again. Well, thank you. Thank you. Great to be back with you. It's, uh, as we were saying earlier, far too long. No kidding. And one day we'll actually get together in person. I know. I know. That would be great. <laughs> All right. So let's chat a little bit about your Go-Giver Influencer book. And I have read all of your books and I think they're fabulous, but I want to talk about the entrepreneurial spirit. And what about those people who aren't entrepreneurs? How does this fit for them? Well, you know, we we look at the the basic premise of the the Go-Giver of the the, really the entire series of the, or the philosophy itself. And it's really nothing more than that shifting your focus off of yourself and onto others, uh, looking for ways to bring immense value to others, which is how we define giving, right? Constantly and consistently providing immense value to other people and understanding that not only is that a, a more pleasant way of conducting business, it's actually the most financially profitable way as well. Now, if someone's an entrepreneur or a salesperson, that means that the that the end user is the person who is going to buy the thing, right? Buy the product or the service. And that's, you know, what you're communicating. And that we think of that as being entrepreneurial, right? You're in, you have your own company or you've invested money. Uh, you've perhaps received the investment money of others. And it's, it really just depends on you getting out there and doing your thing, bringing value to the marketplace. Now, if you, let's say, work for another company, you may not be an entrepreneur, but you're still an intra. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're simply an entrepreneur within another person's organization. And let's look at the slight difference, but also the similarity. I often say to entrepreneurs and salespeople that nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. Mm-hmm. Right. They're not going to buy from you because you need the money and they're not even going to buy from you because you're a really nice person. They're going to buy from you only because they believe they will be better off by doing so than by 
doing, but not doing so. And that's really the only reason why anyone should buy from you or from me or from anyone else. Now, let's go to the intrapreneur. I would say a very similar thing. Nobody is going to hire you. No one's going to pay you a salary. No one's going to keep you on with them because you have a mortgage payment to make or because you'd like to save for your kid's college or even because you're a really, really nice person. (laughs) They're going to keep you on. They're going to pay you. They're going to advance you. They're going to what have you because they believe that you are offering something to them that makes it well worth their while to do so. And that's the only reason why anyone should hire you or keep you on or pay you a salary or advance you or or whatever it happens to be. So as that entrepreneur, your customer might be your supervisor. It might be those on your team who you lead. It might be that person in the other silo who usually doesn't share information, but because of your great people skills and the way that you have come through for them and the way that you've been able to, it might be the owner of the company or it could be directly or indirectly, of course, the end users. So it's really the same thing. Our goal, regardless of our position or situation, is to find ways to bring value to the marketplace, whatever our marketplace happens to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's talk about the premise of the book itself. Can you share a little bit about that? About the what of the book? The premise of the book. The premise. So we would say it's it's shifting your focus. Mm-hmm. This is really the key. So you shift your focus from getting to giving. But giving is, again, defined as constantly and consistently providing immense value to others. And when we say that doing so is profitable, it's not for any woo-woo, way out there, magical, mystical reasons. It actually makes very logical sense. And here's what I mean. When you're that person who can move from that, what we call I focus or me focus to what we would call an other focus, okay? Making it about that other person, uh, helping them achieve their goals, solve their problems, come closer to happiness or whatever it is you're doing in whatever situation. People feel good about you. People want to get to know you. They like you. They trust you. They want to be in relationship with you. They want to be in business with you. They want to refer you to others or whatever the natural outcome would be. So, you know, it's really, uh, you know, important to understand that it, it, it isn't magic. It's just basically understanding human nature and that if a person or to the degree that a person already is one who enjoys adding value to the lives of others, you're going to be the most successful mm-hmm. and, and not mm-hmm. just in a, you know, long-term type of thing. No, both the shorter term and the longer term. Great. Can you give us a a quick review of the five laws that you and John share in the book? Sure. So the five laws themselves are the laws of value, compensation, influence, authenticity, and receptivity. Law number one, the law of value says your true worth in the business sense, of course, your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. It sounds kind of productive, you know, counterintuitive when you first hear it, give more in value than I take in payment. I mean, that sounds like a recipe for bankruptcy. So we simply have to understand the difference between price and value. Price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's finite. Uh, It is what it is. (laughs) Uh, Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something to the end user or beholder. 
If one, for example, is an interior designer and they are hired to do a job in someone's home, they charge a certain fee or price. But what are they giving in terms of value? Well, you could probably go down the list of three or four or five, six ways that make that customer's life better by having done business with you in which they would feel they have received much more in value than what they've paid for. Okay. So that's really, you know, law number one. And the, and the, the reason it takes place is because your focus is not on your fee. That's not your focus. Your focus is on the immense value you're bringing to that client. This is why we say that money is simply an echo of value. Uh, it's the thunder, if you will, to values lightning, which really means nothing more than that the value comes first. Okay, that must be the focus. The value comes first. The money you receive is a natural result of the value you've provided. Law number two is the law of compensation. And this says your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So where law number one says to give more in value than you take in payment, law number two tells us that the more people whose lives you touch with the exceptional value you provide, the more money with which you'll be rewarded. So, uh, you know, the interior uh, designer in that first uh, example, uh, her client who received much more in value than what she paid feels great about it, feels great about her, probably will do business with her again if that ever, you know, the need's ever there, but will definitely tell others about her. And our designer, her other clients feel the same way about her. So she is really building what we call a an army of personal walking ambassadors. And as she continues to add exceptional value to the lives of more and more people, her income will continue to, to grow and grow. In the uh, original book, in The Go-Giver, the CEO, uh, Nicole Martin, shared with the protege, Joe, that law number one, the law of value, that's the foundational principle, that represents your potential income. But it's law number two, which represents how many lives you impact with that wonderful value. That equals your actual compensation. Now, law number three is the law of influence. And this says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. This one, again, counterintuitive at best and perhaps downright Pollyanna-ish at worst, right? Yet you think about it, the greatest leaders, top influencers, highest money earners that you know, this is simply how they run their lives and conduct their businesses. They're always looking for ways to look out for the best interests of the other person. Now, I do want to qualify this because I think it's very easy to, to misunderstand and it's very important. When we say place the other person's interests first, we certainly don't mean you should be anyone's doormat or martyr or self-sacrificial in any way. Absolutely not at all. It's simply as Joe, the protagonist, learned from several of the, the mentors in the story, the golden rule of business, of sales, is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And there's simply no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you and others than by, again, genuinely moving from that I focus or me focus to that other focus, looking to, as, as Sam, one of the mentors, advised Joe, to make your win all about the other person's win. And as you develop a reputation for doing that, you know, constantly and consistently, again and again, you become that go-to person.
Law number four is the law of authenticity. And this one says that the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. In this chapter, in this this law, Deborah Davenport was the mentor. And she shared within this time, it wasn't to Joe, it was to an entire audience at the symposium. She told the story of something she learned early enough in her career that basically kept her in business and allowed her to thrive. And that is that all the skills in the world, the sales skills, technical skills, people skills, as important as they are, and they are indeed all very, very important. They're also all for naught if you don't come at it from your true authentic core. But when you do, when you, as we like to say, show up as yourself day after day, week after week, month after month. People feel good about you. They feel comfortable with you. They feel safe with you. Why? Because they know it's you. You're consistent. Okay. They know that the you they see today is the same you they're going to see tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Right. And that's big for people. In order to elicit trust, people need to know who you are and that you're the same person every time. Consistency is a biggie. And that comes from authenticity. Now, you know, it's often asked, why do people sometimes not show up authentically, but instead is a, I think the correct Latin term is phonus balonus, right? They're not authentic. And, you know, we might want to think, well, it's because they're, you know, they're lying or they're dishonest or they're trying to pull one over. And it's a big world. There's lots of people. We we need to be aware of all those. But no, that's really not it. 99.9% of the time when someone doesn't show up authentically, it's more of a reflection of the fact that they don't have the self-confidence to do so. Because it's hard to show up authentically when you don't feel you have anything worthy or, you know, authentically worthy of showing up for. And yet you do, because as human beings, we have value. We have intrinsic value just by being, but we also have what I call market value. And I define market value as that combination of strengths, traits, talents, and characteristics that allows a person to add value or give value to the marketplace in such a way that they will be well financially rewarded. We all have these assets of value. The term you hear now is superpower, right? But most people don't have a superpower that is enough to make them successful, but they have a number of areas where they're good at that they can put together. Uh, Scott Adams, the famous creator of the Dilbert comic strip, who's written a number of excellent books. One of them is how to, oh gosh, I think it was how to fail at almost everything and still succeed or, or something <laughs> like that. And I, But he talks about something he calls talent stacking. And what he says is, you know, you don't have to be Michael Jordan or you know, Martina Navratilova, I guess I'm dating myself here a little bit. Those are names from the past, but you know, you don't have to be that one that superstar with that certain. No, most of us aren't, but you might have several really good, but again, assets of value areas that you're really proficient at. And when you stack them together, when you put them together, it allows you to bring immense value to the marketplace. Now, the challenge with understanding what those are is that we're human beings. And as such, we tend to be so emotionally close to ourselves, it's often difficult for us to to see that greatness 
within us. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm 62 and a half years old and I still look in the mirror sometimes and see that skinny, gawky, awkward kid (laughs) who, you know, at 16, who was too, you know, and so, and I'm anything but skinny at this point. So, you know, but we see ourselves as, you know, in, in that way, in a very subjective way. And I mean, that's why it's so important to have coaches such as yourself who can help you see that greatness in yourself, who cares about you, but can still be dispassionate enough to be part of the solution rather than the problem. So it's very important that we understand our value, that we understand that we walk in our value, that we understand what we bring to others, what we bring to the marketplace so that we can lead in that authentic way. Mm -hmm. And then uh, law number five is the law of receptivity. And this is kind of what brings it all home. The law of receptivity simply says that the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. And this means nothing more than understanding that, yes, you breathe out and you also have to breathe in, right? It's not one or the other. It's both. You breathe out carbon dioxide, breathe in oxygen. Try doing one without the other. It doesn't work so well. You breathe out, which is giving, and you breathe in, which is receiving. Contrary to the many, many messages of lack and the negative messages about money, prosperity, business, and so forth that we get from the world around us, the fact is that giving and receiving are not opposite concepts. They're simply two sides of the very same coin and they work in tandem. You're not a giver or a receiver any more than you breathe out or breathe in. You're a giver and a receiver. Many have to get past that mental block and all the negative messages that have been received as a combination of upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, movies, you know, all the where we hear just, and we hear these all the time, these negative, horrible messages about money and about the wealthy and about all the, right? And so, you know, I'm a big believer that we should be proactively building our prosperity muscles, proactively studying prosperity. People like, you know, Randy Gage and and Ellen Rogan and Sharon Lecter and David Nagel and Bob Proctor. There's so many great speakers and writers and authors and bloggers and podcasters on prosperity. We really need to, because it's really a mind thing. You know, it's really, because if you don't, you know, all the giving in the world, all the giving of value, all the bringing of immense value to the marketplace is wonderful. That's got to be your focus. And then by doing that, you've created that benevolent context of success to receive. You've got to be willing to allow yourself to receive and enjoy the prosperity that you deserve. You know, Bob, I think that is probably my favorite one, the fifth one, because for so many people, and I think because we have so many female entrepreneurs in our industry, about 85, 86%, that many of them have been focused on being givers, but they haven't been good at receiving. And so for them to receive money for the kind of work that they do, I think has been maybe not the more, most normal thing. So yeah. what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I can't, and I, and I often hear women say that women have more of a, an issue with that than men. And if I can't speak to that, I, I don't know. I just know that I know a lot of men who are the same way and they underprice themselves and they allow themselves to have their fees negotiated far too often. And they try to be the lowest price. And, you know, the, what I've learned is that you, you know, if you sell on low price, you're looked at as a commodity. Okay. If you sell on high value, 
you're looked at as a resource. And I think it's very, very important to understand the real value you bring to the table, not just in the intrinsic value of as a designer of what you do, then that's important, but that's baseline. You've got to do that. It's everything else that you bring that makes you that additional value, which is why someone will pay more. It's the excellence you bring. It's the consistency you bring. It's the attention to detail that you bring to them as a human being. It's the empathy that you display and communicate. It's the gratitude and appreciation. It's everything you do at every touch point from when you first meet someone to as you're building the relationship through the follow-up and follow-through, the sales process, the referrals, and everything you do. It's communicating that value in such a way that others see it and being willing to ask for your price and receive your price, your fee, knowing that you're giving such enormous value that that price is very actually very, very reasonable. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that is a a very hard thing for, again, women are not necessarily trained that way. And like you said, men aren't either. And so for those people who are struggling with finding that value within themselves so that they do feel confident so that they can ask for the fees that they really should be earning, what would you say to them? I'd say you need to make us, you need to make a study of two things. Okay. One is your own value so that you truly understand what you bring to the table because it starts there. If you don't know that, you can't. And of course, you know, the selling, understanding the selling process is understanding how to communicate value. And that's not done by talking about how valuable you are, it's done by asking questions. It's finding out during the discovery what exactly this person wants needs and desires Mm -hmm. and having such a clear picture from asking and listening and clarifying, right? So that you know that when you're now matching the benefits of what you bring to the table, you're able to do so in such a way that that person sees how much value you provide. So you first have to understand, again, that's where you come in as a, you know, a teacher of that and be able to, then the other part is, is again, make a study of prosperity. Mm -hmm. Uh, You start subscribing as much as you can and reading the books of those people like Randy and Ellen and David and Bob Mm -hmm. and Sharon and these people, because I'm telling you, the horrible messages we get from the world around us from every place is not conducent to having a good attitude about money. And it's all unconscious. You know, Randy Gage brings up, you know, when you go to a movie, <laughs> there any big selling movie typically has two types of people who are represented. There are the good people who are typically portrayed as being poor and struggling, but happy. They're always poor, but happy. And they're honest, right? And they're righteous. And then, but these people are always put down, pushed around, pushed over, stepped on, stepped over, taken advantage of by who? the rich people who are mm-hmm. mean and nasty and cowardly mm-hmm. and have no soul. And we see this all the time. But a kid watching this, they don't question the premises. They don't ask, hmm, now why would that be the case? They don't say to themselves, hmm, but I know people, my parents have friends who are wealthy, but very, very nice and charitable and giving and cut, right? No, it's just these are messages that go past the, because they're told in stories. Randy tells about uh, the uh, first Spider-Man movie, right? Where, where um, Uncle Ben and Peter are on the couch. And talking about money and, you know, why they're so poor and so forth. And and Uncle Ben says, well, Peter, we may not be rich, but at least we're honest. What a horrible, horrible message for kids Mm -hmm. watching that to see. Because what's the premise? That if you are poor, 
you're probably honest. If you're honest, you're probably poor. If you have money, you're not honest. You did something bad, nefarious in order to, to get that. So, you know, is it that just a movie? No, it's everything that comes into this person's unconscious. So now you get older, right? And you're providing immense value to the marketplace, touching the lives of many with this great value. And you've opened the floodgates to be able to receive, but in your unconscious what are you thinking to yourself? Well, wait a second. If I'm making a lot of money, doesn't that mean I'm dishonest? Haven't I taken advantage of people? Haven't I built it on the backs of others? And aren't I a bad person? Aren't people going to not like me because I'm what, right? And so what do we do? We sabotage our success and, and so forth. So again, I just, you know, I mean, I, I know that that chapter had a lot. And when we talk about the law of receptivity, John and I probably both received emails from more people about that one chapter where people said, finally, I feel like I have permission to receive, to make a lot mm -hmm. of money, to be abundant. And, you know, we take that as a compliment, of course, but we also feel badly that that is something that that's a thing. Right. So again, we, we covered on a surface level, but I'm not a, an expert in that area in terms of, you know, teaching it. There are people out there who are, I would make a study of it. So since I have both of you here and as most of our audience knows, Gail is my mentor. I'd love to hear your view on mentorship, Bob. And, you know, what's the best way to find a mentor? And even more importantly, <laughs> what not to do when uh, trying to find one, right? <laughs> yeah, both are important. Yeah. Well you, well, you certainly have a wonderful mentor. My Thank goodness. you. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I believe mentorship is just so important because a great mentor can really cut your learning curve by years through their their wisdom and counsel. So yes, I mean, I recommend seeking, seeking out a mentor or various mentors. But one of the things that I see people do that I think is counterproductive is they'll often reach out to someone who they respect, but with whom they you know don't necessarily have a relationship with. And they'll kind of come right out and say, hey, will you be my mentor? Right. And there's a couple things. There's a couple of reasons why that's kind of productive. One is this, you know, this person, it's sort of like asking this person to share their 40 years of wisdom, right? Or 30 years of wisdom with you, even though they don't know you from a hole in the wall. So that's, you know, there's no real reason for them to, and it comes across, you know, as a bit entitled and so forth. And remember, if you want this person to be your mentor, probably so do a lot of other people. So he or she is always being asked to be a, a mentor and they have limited amount of time. So that doesn't distinguish you in any way by asking that way. However, you can pretty much ask anyone, you know, when you approach it correctly, such as if this is something you either don't have time to do or just would rather not, I'll totally understand. I'm wondering, would it be okay if I asked you one or two very specific questions. Now, when you approach a person this way, you're doing a couple of things. One, you're respecting the process and they get that. Okay. You've also given them an out, a back door, which they appreciate. You've let them know if it's something you just don't have time to do or don't want to do. That's totally okay. Typically, the more of an out, the bigger the out or back door you give someone to take, the less they feel the need to take it. Third, what you did is instead of just asking them to make a big commitment to be your mentor, You've just asked, you know, you say, may I ask you one or two very specific questions? And so they know that you're not going to waste their time. You have an agenda. And when I say agenda in this context, I mean that in a, a good way, in a positive way, you know, you, and so typically they'll say, sure, absolutely. Not, not everyone's going to, but not everyone has to, but they probably will. So you want to make sure to research that person uh, enough so that you don't ask anything that you could have discovered on your own, of course. So you're going to ask them these couple of questions the, and not waste their time, be, you know, very succinct and let them know how much 
which you just uh, so appreciate it and you look forward to putting it to use right away. And, and you'll, if it's okay, you'll circle back and let them know how things are going. And they'll say, oh yeah, please do let me know. Boom. Now that day I would write a handwritten personalized thank you note, not nothing long, just, you know, dear Mr. Or Ms. So-and-so, Thank you so much again for taking time out of your day to share your wisdom with me. It was invaluable. I look forward to applying it right away and we'll let you know how things are going. Best regards, sign your name, put it in a number 10 envelope or whatever envelope, hand stamp it, hand address blue ink so it's very friendly color, send it out. Okay, now I would also that day, I would make a small donation. It doesn't have to be anything big, just a small donation to their favorite charitable cause, which you can easily find out again, just by online research or calling their administrative assistant, what have you. Maybe they're uh, an animal lover or into animal rescue. So you make a small donation to their place where they affiliate, okay? You make it in their name and it will get back to them. And you're not doing it to kiss up to them or anything. You're doing it only so that, again, they see that you respect the process and that you're looking to also give value to them, even though at this point in time, it's not you certainly can't do that on on their level. But then now, a few weeks later or whenever it is, you give them a call or email or whatever it happens to be. You have another, you know, you let them know what's happening, ask them maybe another question. And if a mentor-protege relationship, and that's just what it is, a relationship is supposed to develop over time, it will. If not, it won't. It might be that that was just one or two conversations and you meet someone else and it's the same thing and different situation. And it might be after the third or fourth person, you meet that Gail, you meet that wonderful person who's going to be your, your mentor. But I think the big thing is to not be attached to the outcome. Okay. By all means, seek out a mentor, ask questions, develop that relationship. And if it turns into a ongoing one-on-one mentor protege relate, great, but don't be attached to it. Go to where, you know, with whatever is going to happen. Great. Well, I think uh, we're about ready to wrap up. And I just wanted to ask one more questions about this. And you had a principle in the book about influence. So how does a go-giver create influence? Well, when you think about influence and, and you define what it is on a very, very basic level, influence is simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually mm-hmm. within the context of a specific goal. That by definition is influence. That is definition but it's not its substance or its essence. The essence of influence is pull. Pull as opposed to push, right? How far can you push a rope? Not very, at least not very fast or very effectively, which is why great influencers don't push. You know, great influencers don't push their will on others. They don't push their ideas on others. They're not pushy, right? No, they don't push, they pull. What is pull? Pull is an attraction. Great influencers attract people first to themselves and then to their ideas. So how do they do this? Well, you pull, you attract by first asking yourself questions to make sure that your approach is that your focus is in the right direction, which is outward. We want to be inwardly motivated, outwardly focused. So the great influencer asks themselves questions such as, how does what I'm asking this other person to do, how does it align with their goals? How does it align with their wants, their needs, their desires? How does what I want or what I'm asking this other person to do, how does it align with their values? What problems am I helping them to solve? 
How am I helping their life to be better? How am I helping them accomplish what they want? And when we ask ourselves these questions thoughtfully, intelligently, genuinely, authentically, right? Not as a way to manipulate another person into doing our will, but as a way of uplifting everyone involved. Now we've come a lot closer to earning that other person's commitment as opposed to trying to depend on some type of compliance, which is manipulation, intimidation, you know, all the horrible aspects of compliance that might have someone feel they have to do something, but it's never sustainable. I love what my great friend, Dondi Skumachi, one of my mentors, what she says about this, and she's a great speaker and practitioner on leadership and team building. And she says, when it comes to leadership, when it comes to influence, compliance will never take you where commitment can go. Mm, Love that. I love that too. So Bob, do you want to leave our listeners with three things they can take away and bring back to their business and their life today? And then also, um, I want to make sure you share a little bit about your free class and what you've got going on there. Sure. Well, you know, as far as what people can take away, I mean, I think it's understanding that, that we need to always focus on that other person. You know, we, we understand that they're not buying for, for our reasons, they're buying for their reasons. Okay. So whether it's leading a team, whether it's a sale, whether what have you, we always need to actually put that other person's interests first, even though that again, at first sounds counterintuitive, but it's not, it's the most profitable way of doing business. So being other focused is very important. I think another aspect is being teachable. It's being willing to follow a system, follow what your teachers tell you, follow what the two of you are saying, because the two of you have been there and done that, right? And then I think it's really making a study and understanding human nature, because we're always dealing with other humans, right? And to the degree that we understand ourselves and that we understand people, that's the degree that we're going to be successful. Those who master people skills, uh, they're really nine steps ahead of the game in a 10-step game. And the single greatest people skill The single greatest people skill is a highly developed and authentic interest in the other person. So I think those, you know, those takeaways hopefully will will have some value to it. Speaking Mm. of value. Yeah. Anyone who would like to look into the um, free mini course that we have, it's a free video mini course. It's called Selling the Go-Giver Way. And they can find that right at Berg, B-U-R-G. Dot com. I also have a follow-up course to that, which is not free, but it's called Endless Referrals, The Go-Giver Way, which is sort of the entire system. But do the free one first and uh, see how you like that one. It's been such a great treat to be with you both today. Well, we certainly appreciate it. And I was going to mention Endless Referrals. That's a great book as well. Oh, thank so, you. So <laughs> you've got so many books that everybody should read all of your books. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That would be our recommendation. And I yeah. think that it, it will speak to people's hearts, which is so important. So thank you, Bob. It is a pleasure as always. And I look forward to having another chat in the near future. Well, thank you. I look forward to that too. Thank you, Bob. Thank you so much. You can all go to Bob's website, thegogiver.com, and immediately download chapter one from his international bestseller, The Go-Giver, and access lots of value-added resources, such as the special report, Endless Prospects, The Go-Giver Way. Also, be sure to follow Bob and The Go-Giver Movement on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.